0: grab a seat just to orient you a bit um, we're in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and if you'd like a a copy uh, of the Bible to follow along you don't have one this morning you can just raise your hand and I think they've got some copies for you so just raise your hand and hold it up and they'll get you a, a Bible Uh, We're in a series on Ecclesiastes, and this is part three. Last week was focus. This is going to be feast, um, and uh, next week is going to be fear. And so there's kind of two keys to the book of Ecclesiastes that are left that I really want to hit on, and you'll see those on your notes page. The concept of of feasting, in some sense, joy, and then the concept of fearing God. I was going to throw friendship in there. Um, because there's a really cool passage that gets used in, in weddings a lot, about quarter to three strands, and two are better than one, and things like that. Uh, but uh, we are having in um, two weeks, so this is a picture actually of, of Pastor Fred. Um, that's Pastor Fred Sekiwa. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And he's a Ugandan pastor, and he's ex- executive director of uh, Africa Renewal Ministries, and he's going to be with us in two weeks from today, actually sharing his story, his passion about Africa Renewal Ministries, about Uganda and the situation there. There's a, I was at a meeting this week and someone was telling me there's, uh, now they're estimating over 2 million orphans in Uganda. Uh, a lot of them kind of left by kind of the, the battles with the Lord's Resistance Army and and some of those things in northern Uganda, but he's going to be here in two weeks sharing, and I'm really excited, and so cutting one of the weeks out of the Ecclesiastes series is no problem for me, uh, we're going to cut the friendship one, and so uh, just hug somebody on the way out, and that'll take care of that, so um, give a little love, and uh, it'll all work out, so, uh, so that's kind of where we're at, um, and so I'm, I'm excited, and so let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, uh, if there's any one thing I would ask this morning, it would be the ability to know that the broken road sometimes in front of us is put there by you to prepare your will for us and that we are supposed to walk by faith. And uh, I know a lot of us, including myself, feel sometimes like the road is broken and, and we stop and wonder why and what's wrong, and and we need answers. And um, Father, give us the ability to keep walking by faith, knowing that you are not finished with us, that you have a plan, and that sometimes beauty comes from ashes. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes, if you would. And we are going to bounce around a little bit and just pick up a thread or a theme that's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to start... In chapter 9, there's a bunch of places where the the writer here, the teacher, uh, Koheleth, that, that's assembling this knowledge and this wisdom, kind of takes us on what seems like this fatalistic journey about everything being meaningless and creates a tense note and then all of a sudden resolves it uh, with this idea of enjoy life. You need to enjoy life. And so I, we brought up two of those last week, and so we're going to skip those and we're going to hit the rest of them. But I want to start in chapter 9, because I I think chapter 9 really frames the the tense side of this argument better than anywhere else in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we'll just pick it up in verse 1. So chapter 9, verse 1. So I reflected on this and concluded uh, that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hand, but no, no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those do not. As it is with a good man, so with the sinner, and as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of man moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a dead, uh, alive dog is better off than a dead one. But if you just go back up, a common destiny awaits all. And so, the writer is just kind of throwing out here this this real, stark kind of reality that we're all going to die, and... It doesn't matter what happens kind of in this life where you're going to end up, where it finishes is going to be the same point that it finishes for everybody. We're all going to end up uh, dying. And it creates kind of what I would call an Ecclesiastes moment. Uh, I was driving yesterday on my way to Barnes & Noble, and I was following this little SUV, and I watched this bird. You know how birds always somehow miss cars? Well, this bird didn't. You know, It flew right into the wheel, I got rolled over, and all these feathers go flying up in the air, right in front of me. And I was just and I kind of just let it go between my tires. I didn't want to finish the job. Uh, and I and I just kind of was like, I can't believe that just happened right in front of me. And and how utterly meaningless that was. That a poor little bird just flew right in that car, and now it's dead. It once was alive, now it's dead. Um, and uh, and I thought that's just what's going on with life. Why does that have to happen? And and it was kind of this Ecclesiastes moment. It's all meaningless. And so I think a lot of you come in here with an Ecclesiastes moment in your life. An Ecclesiastes situation, an Ecclesiastes relationship, an uh, Ecclesiastes stress or frustration or fear. And there are these things that kind of uh, really come up in front of us and go, wow, wow. Life is a little bit meaningless, and where is this all going, and what's the point to all of it? And those are the the stuff of real life, and they're the kinds of things that keep us from going to church, I think. Uh, Somehow these Ecclesiastes moments keep us from going to church where everything's sanitized and everything's clean, and you got to watch what you say. Um, It's like a communist state inside the church you know like you can't you can't speak freely and and that's such a sad thing because what ecclesiastes teaches us is that ecclesiastes moments are put there so that we can learn something about life they're, they're even in the canon they're in they're in the bible god says when these moments come up you're supposed to wrestle with them not run away from me you're supposed to see what i would say about it uh, not hide from me or, or think that i'm irrelevant in your life somehow and so it's kind of like the movie Titanic in my mind. Uh, if you saw the movie Titanic, um, if you were in junior high when it came out, I know you saw it. Um, but there is this, uh, this the unsinkable Molly Brown character. And she was the one that wasn't born into money. She came into money. And so there she is with all the rich people in the first class. And all of them are cultured and they know what to say and what not to say and how to act. And she comes in and she's just kind of like a brawler. And says whatever she thinks and whatever she's feeling. And she's totally out of place in some sense. And everyone's looking at her like, what's going on with this woman? And I think that's a lot of times what church is like. You know, if you come in and you talk about the real stuff of life, people look at you like, you can't say that here. Um, and I think those Ecclesiastes moments are the things that teach us we're supposed to be real. And we're supposed to be authentic. Authentic. And we're supposed to be able to wrestle with the deep questions because it happens. And so this kind of starts us going uh, in chapter 9. And this is where he resolves it with one of these uh, enjoy life passages. So in verse 7 of chapter 9, this is what he says. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For <laughs> all the Presbyterians. Um <laughs> For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going... There is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. and So here's the first thing. Uh, Always be clothed in white. Dress yourself in white, he says. And so the idea is, we all share this common destiny, and it's all meaningless. And so there's a choice you can have, okay? You can negate life and shut down. Or you can accept life, affirm life, say yes to life, and dress yourself in white. And go out and live. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is in the face of kind of this nihilistic despair or this angst. Anoint your head, dress yourself in white, go out and be life-affirming. Now, it's a, it's a fascinating thing for me because the church a lot of times is accused of being life-negating. Uh, I studied uh, Nietzsche for a whole semester in grad school. And Nietzsche was in the 1800s in Germany and the first one to really say God is dead and he was kind of against this whole idea of God. And his biggest reason for being against Christianity was he saw it as life-negating. These Christians are all about revenge and these these Christians don't live here. They just sit on their hands and, waiting to die so they can go to heaven kind of a thing. And I think hopefully... It was more about the culture in which he grew up in in Germany and, ho- and and not about what the scriptures were saying. God made life, and he gave you life. And he's got a calling for you, and he's got things for you to do, and he gave you gifts. And like a father, he can't wait to see you go out and live life. And there's going to be bumps, and there's going to be bruises, and I think God grieves for us. That's why Jesus came and shed tears, right? God grieves for us in those difficult times, but he doesn't want us just to shut down and wait it out. It's not like turbulence on the plane that's all life is and you just ride it out. Somehow we have to try and just accept life and live it to the full. We're supposed to be life affirming, not life negating. We're supposed to be clothed in white. If you're wearing black this morning, it's it's cool. That's uh it's a real classy professional color. Um and, uh, and, and you can wear white next week. Um, but I don't think that's what he's saying. But the whole idea is, is your posture towards life needs to be life-affirming, not life-negating. Here's a, a quote from W.P. Brown in something that Brandon gave me. And it says this, For Keheleth, in working through the depths of despair that question the very meaning of life and work, there is an answer. And it lies in the fervent desire to live and work despite the absurdities and contradictions of life. The answer is admittedly anticlimactic. Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in one's, in one's labors. And all noble and honorable goals and ideas are whittled down to everyday simple pleasures. Now here's the key, received in gratitude. It's not the atheistic, humanist um, kind of, hedonist principle of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, period. It's accepting from God uh, what he gives and finding satisfaction in what God gives you under the sun. And it's, we're going to see that. It's a gift from God. And so what gives me joy is to know that in a book like this, and you've got to read the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the things I've been excited about is in the last two weeks, how many people have come to me and said that in this series, they've actually sat down and read the book of Ecclesiastes. And there are so many little things in there, just little proverbs, little sayings, little, little tensions that it brings out. And when you're reading those, it allows you to kind of join in there and wrestle with it and realize, you know what, not all these things resolve themselves. There's just some riddles to life. And what gives me joy is to know that we can go in here and read those things and in the end kind of of turn ourselves towards life and towards God and say, yes, I'm not going to wear black, I'm going to wear white, always wear white. Now, if you turn back, we're going to pick it up in chapter 5. So the first thing is just clothe yourself in white. Here's the second thing. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says this. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be, be happy in his work, for this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Okay, if you're an underliner, if you're one of those people that compulsively underline things, um, God has given him in verse 18. God gives in verse 19, enables him in verse 19. Again in verse 19, this is a gift of God. And in verse 20, God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. So the second principle here is God gives joy. Joy is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. We need a little help every now and then. We've got a video clip that hopefully will will show this a little bit more clearly. You can, you can just let it go. <laughs> there we go. Is he coming or no? <laughs> the drama team, front and center. <laughs> Is it froze? <laughs> all right, we've got technical difficulties. If you've ever seen this movie, it's one of my favorite little clips to show whenever I'm talking about leadership stuff, leadership principles. The the ants are going all in a line, and the leaf comes down and breaks the line. And the ants freak out. They don't know what to do, and they just stop, and they all start bumping into each other. And down runs the manager um, little ant, because I guess there's manager ants, and so he comes running down, and he starts talking to them like little children, and he grabs the first one in line, and says, it's okay, it's okay, around the leaf, around the leaf, and they start they start saying around the leaf, and they start walking around, he's like, this isn't that bad, it's nothing compared to the twig of, you know, whatever year, you know, um, like around the twig's harder than around the leaf, but kind of leads them around the leaf, and what, what I think we got to realize sometimes is we think we know what's going on in life, and we think we know what we need to do and how we need to do it, and we're marching forward, and we're saying, Yay, God, um, and we've got all the Christian bracelets on and everything else, and then a leaf shows up, and we just get so thrown off. And This can happen to us every day. It can happen every week. And the whole idea here is sometimes uh, God really is the one that enables us to have joy. Um, that we get caught up in these tense moments, like that computer, and just get hung up and if we if god doesn 't step in and intervene and help us get around the leaf we we just lock up and we shut down and so joy is a gift from god it's it 's something that he does for us. Jesus says a lot of the same things in in uh Matthew chapter six he says don 't worry about these things. Don't worry about little things like food and clothing and and all the things you get hung up on, all the leaves that drop in your path. Um God knows about that. It, it's it's okay. And God'll take care of you and he'll clothe you and he says, "You know what? Um don't worry about tomorrow." I mean, tomorrow's got a whole set of problems that God hasn't even told you about yet, and if you knew it all, you'd just you'd freak out. Um so let tomorrow worry about itself. Just deal with today and let God help get you around the leaf and he's going to take care of your your things and so just trust it's all about trust and so joy is a gift from god and um because it's a gift from god here's the the one thing i want you to walk away from on on this this principle here when when we realize that something comes from somewhere else we go looking for it where where it comes from uh if something doesn't come from me um at my house it's dinner uh then I go looking somewhere else for, for that. I don't go look. I don't look here. Uh, and if joy is a gift from God, then we gotta not get caught up looking to ourselves all the time for joy. Does that make sense? So what should we do? And and here's the, the, the real key thing is we should be praying about it. Joy is a matter of prayer, just like the problems are a matter matter of prayer. Uh, instead of always trying to pray the leaf out, we should be trying to say, God, with that leaf that's fallen in my path, help me get around it. Give me the, the joy uh, to live out this day despite my circumstances. Fill me with some kind of satisfaction, some kind of energy, some kind of divine whatever, so that I can be life-affirming and, and not walk around moping because um, I have a relationship with the God of the universe. I shouldn't be walking around moping. And help me not just have this broken record to where everyone I see today is going to hear about all my problems. It's just, you know, it's like machine gun fire. I'm going to go from one person to the next person to the next person. And I'm just going to lay it all on them. You know, there's a leaf. <laughs> I, there's a leaf. How does anyone expect me to live with that leaf in my in my path? And so we've got to learn how to pray about our joy. God, God. Give me joy. I, I remember there was a season in my life where I would start my day with prayer. A pastor by the name of John Piper, I heard this in a message he gave, and and he simply said, fight for your joy. And so every morning I would get on my knees and I'd say to God, God, I'm not going to get off my knees until you fill me with joy. Until I can walk out of this house and out of this room looking like I'm supposed to look. Okay, All my circumstances aren't going to be fixed, but... But I can still look like someone that has joy despite my until that happens, I'm not getting off my knees and some mornings it's you know twenty seconds and you're out the door and you're you're whistling and you're singing and you're annoying everybody that's having a bad day and other times you're on your knees for twenty minutes wrestling and crying out to God somehow, God, you've got to fill me up. there's nothing there. I'm on an empty tank, and so the second principle here is just. We're being counseled to enjoy life, to be life affirming. And we have to realize that God gives joy. If you flip over in chapter 8, starting in verse 14, chapter 8, starting in verse 14, it says this There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve. And wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Do you, do you get the teeth of, of what he's saying? Bad people end up ahead and good people sometimes end up behind. What, what always causes us to cry, cry foul or, or not fair? When what ought to happen doesn't happen. And our sense of justice is so tied up with that, right? And one of the things that throws us off in our Christian walk is we know that, you know, I'm trying to get my life to ministry, and I'm trying to love my neighbor, and I'm trying to be nice to, you know, in-laws, you know, and I'm trying to um, do all these different things, and, and, and it should go well for me because I'm a good person. You guys ever felt that? And so when it doesn't go well for you, what do you do? Um, okay, time out. Universe, please stop. Uh, something is wrong here. You know, can I can I lodge a complaint? Everybody stop. We need to rewind. I deserved something different than what I got because I'm a good person, and we've got that sense of justice in us, and it's so deep, deeply rooted. The sense of entitlement, the sense of all of it, that when it doesn't go that way, um, it can throw us completely out of the church. It can throw us out of our relationship with God. So I I read something last week from this, um, an intro to the book of Ecclesiastes that Eugene Peterson wrote. I want to read his intro to the book of Habakkuk and listen to this, okay? Living by faith is a bewildering venture. We rarely know what's coming next, and not many things turn out the way we anticipate. It is natural to assume that, that since I am God's chosen and beloved, I will get favorable treatment from the God who favors me so extravagantly. It is natural to assume that since I am God's chosen and beloved, I will get favorable treatment from the God who favors me so extravagantly. It is not unreasonable to expect that from the time that I become his follower, I will be exempt from dead ends, muddy detours, and cruel treatment from the travelers I meet daily who are walking the other direction. Now listen to this, that God followers don't get preferential treatment in life always comes as a surprise, doesn't it? That God followers don't always get preferential treatment in life always comes as a surprise. When wicked men somehow end up on top and good men somehow end up on bottom, they are not getting preferential treatment. That's a shocking thing. I mean, it, it takes us, it's an Ecclesiastes moment, and it shakes us. You got that? But it's also surprised to find out that there are a few men and women within the Bible who show up al- alongside us at such moments. That's why he's kind of trying to do at the intro to, Ecclesi- uh, to Habakkuk is say, God has put books in the Bible that share our felt life experience so that we can go there, learn and find comfort, and God can meet us in those moments. And so here he goes on. That was verse 14. Um, We don't get preferential treatment, and it, it, it sucks. Verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. So I commend the enjoyment of life. Joy is a choice as well as a gift from God. It's a choice. We all know this. That it's an attitude thing, right? Whenever you walk up to somebody and say, oh, Somebody needs an attitude adjustment. Um, Kim says that a lot about Kip in The Office. Um, we know that there's, there's the ability to choose the attitude we're going to have. And that it can be one of joy or it can be the opposite. It can be sour. Instead, instead of radiating, it kind of sucks life into a black hole. And so joy is a choice. And this is so far different from happiness the way we currently define it. In America, we've, we've moved happiness so far over into this immediate felt pleasure zone that you can't just choose it. You're either experiencing pleasure or you're not. Your circumstances are either lifting you up and making you feel like you're king of the world, or they're not. You're not in control of your happiness. It's it's either happening to you or it's not. And what this is saying to us is, no, joy is a state of being. It's not a set of circumstances. It's a choice that sometimes we make. It's an attitude that we take on. Joy is so much different than the happiness that's defined in our culture. And so Abraham Lincoln one of his famous statements was simply this you are only as happy as you choose to be I commend to you joy it's a choice there's a a paragraph or a little essay a little poem that changed my life it was before I was even a christian and it actually got me kind of going on the the road to becoming a christian and it was in my workplace I was a and an engineer at the time, interning. And this was on the wall in a secular workplace, but it's by a pastor. And I passed by it one day, right before I put my safety goggles on because I hated wearing them, and I'd walk slow and then put these safety goggles on. Uh, and it was on the wall, and so I kind of stopped and read it, and I actually went back and wrote it down and took it home. And now you can just Google it on the internet and find it. But uh, it's called Attitude by Charles Swindoll. It says this, we've got it up on the board for you to read along. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Now, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me And 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And I think if we would really realize that, that in the, the midst of the worst of the worst, there's a choice we have on how to respond. I might not have control of everything out here, but I control how I choose to respond to it. And the writer of Ecclesiastes sets up this paradox that causes most of us to shut down. The whole fairness clause. And then he says, but I commend to you joy. Joy is a gift from God and joy is a choice. It's an attitude. And so if we go towards the end here, chapter 11. Chapter 11 uh, is starting to shut down the book kind of. Starting to try and bring it home. In chapter 11, verse 7, we'll read this. 11 verse 7, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. And however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Uh, What he's really driving home here at the end, I think is simply this. Uh, You've only got a set number of days. Um, and it is better to enjoy them all than to try and hang on to your joy and, and save it up. Um, we play capture the flag with life. Do you know that? Remember capture the flag? You have, you have flag, and you got to run it back, and there's these safe zones where the, the other team can't get you, and you get the flag, and then you run like mad trying to get to a safe zone, and then you take a breather, and you get ready to kind of make another mad dash and stuff like that, and we treat life that way. I gotta make a mad dash to get to a safe zone when everything's gonna be perfect. No trials, no struggles. I'm safe. It's all protected. I've got everything right where I can control it. Um, Everything's gonna be perfect for that little season. Then I'm gonna really enjoy it. That's why vacations never work, by the way. You know, (laughs) I'm gonna wait for that vacation. Everything's gonna be perfect. Um, (laughs) Mine don't work that way. But we do this in life. We try and save it up. We're going to get to this little season where everything's going to open up, and it's going to be the sun will come out kind of uh, any moment, and we're going to enjoy it a whole lot, and then we're going to probably sprint like mad, and and we can't enjoy that because we've got to get to another safe zone. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, guess what? Uh, You only have a certain number of days. Enjoy them all. And don't wait to start until you get older. Young man, young woman, start now. Start today, but don't go out of bounds with it. You know, live in bounds, but start today. Seize the day. Enjoy all the days. And so joy is a gift from God. Joy is a choice, but joy is also a commitment. It's a commitment to say, I'm gonna um, make the most out of this life that I've got each and every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And it's such a hard thing to let sink, just kind of deep into who we are. There's no. Should I even try with that next video? You, okay, they they think we're good. This is a good. This will be a good test. Um, we'll try it, and if not, we'll we'll just go on.
1: Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Wake up, gentlemen. It's late. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. All right, listen up. You will follow Doc, myself, and the other coaches. We're going to take a little run through the woods. If you get lost along the way, don't bother coming back to camp. Just hitchhike your hind parts on home. Any questions? Coach, It's a high school football team. We're not the Marines here. Let's go. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. Green field right here. Painted red. Bubbling with blood young boys. Smoke. And hot lead going right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. They killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred. Destroy my family You listen you Take a lesson from the dead If we don't come together Right now on this hollow ground like they were I don't care if you like each other or not but you will respect each other and maybe I don't know maybe you will learn to play this game like men
0: if you remember the movie is remember the Titans and the the players couldn't get along because of race and the coaches were trying to get the players uh, to play with one another and it wasn't working. And so he gave them that early morning jog, early morning run. And he took him to Gettysburg like you saw, and he made him stand there and there's power to experiencing something firsthand rather than just being told it. Does that make sense? And, What God is trying to do in the book of Ecclesiastes is run us out to Gettysburg. Um, How many times in your life have you heard it in a cliche way or or just even earnestly, you need to make the most of who you are and what you've been given and you have a choice in life. What are you going to do with it? Make good on it. Make the most of it. Start today. Seize the day. And a lot of times that works for five minutes or until the, the credits on a movie start to run and then we go back out and there's the leaf in our path or there's the broken road before us and we immediately get thrown off. Um, because just being told to enjoy life doesn't quite work. And what we need to realize is God is serious and he's earnest about us learning in the middle of the worst of the worst of life. The difficulties, the times, the trials, the struggles, the relationships. Somehow, some way, we cannot put off joy. We have to go to him and pray for it. God, give me joy. I can't get around this thing. We have to just choose it. Sometimes we need to hit the reset button and just say, you know what? I'm going to choose to respond to this thing in a better way. My car gets in a wreck, great. It was God's car, not mine. Um, My car gets towed, you know what? Well, that'll teach me. It's okay. It's only 100 bucks. It could be worse. Whatever it is in your life, sometimes we just got to choose to respond. Life is 10% what happens to us, 90% how we respond to it, and we got to choose that. And we got to start today, whether you're 90 years old, whether you're 9 years old, don't waste a minute. And so God will take you, I think to teach you this, God will take you on an early morning run. He will. He will take you and he will run you out there and he will try to strip you down and show you that quit trying to amass everything in life. Quit trying to control everything in life. Quit waiting for that that end of the rainbow season. Just start taking each day. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Give it to God and make the most of it. Some of you are... In here, and, and this uh, this is a day where God's taking you out on an early morning run. Uh, some of you are coming in after a week of, of God taking you out on an early morning run. And somehow you have to learn what God is trying to teach you. Uh, and that's just to let go um, and quit trying to do this. We, I think, sometimes pass on our calling in life. We We never get on with the contract that God has for us. Because we we try to negotiate the terms endlessly. When we're sitting there with God, negotiating over the terms and and the circumstances of our life, waiting to get started and pull the trigger. And the terms and the circumstances in life are what God has for you. It's your lot in life. And we need to quit haggling and start accepting and not miss our calling in life God's got something for you. Uh, take it and run with it. I needed this this week um, because I'd forgotten it, you know. So I'm planting a church, and I put my head down, and, and I went into doer mode and and turned into a machine mode. My wife hates it. Uh, and, and I'm just going to get to the end of this kind of a thing and just bowl forward. And I had stopped enjoying it, everything. And I needed this. As a wake-up call to me to, to, to enjoy each day of this, each week of the church plan, all the hard work, just to enjoy it. And one of the things that really woke me up was a slap in the face for me. And, and uh, Proverbs, I think, 26 in there says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted, um, but don't trust you know the kisses of an enemy. And so I have always said you know to my friends, slap me. And slap me early. I'll get mad at you if you slap me late. Um, if, you, if you let me go too far and you could have slapped me early, I'm going to be mad, okay? Um, wounds of a friend can be trusted. If you see that I'm just, I'm stuck, come in, slap me around the leaf, Ken. You can do it. Um, and so I had a moment this week. It was uh, work with Kim Hunt, and Kim is one of my heroes. Most of my heroes in life are in this church, to be honest with you. Um, people that are taking their jobs, their calling, that, where they work, what they have, what they're doing, and they're trying to use it for ministry. Um, those are my heroes, given their time, their energy, their their passion. And one of them is Kim. And uh she could be getting paid a whole lot more elsewhere. Uh and so we're in the office and she does she works and works and works and works and works and never stops. And if you know Kim, Kim likes her alone time. And so there was a situation this week where it was one more thing being added to her, uh one more just a lot of different things. And I, I kinda just was like, Kim, is can you can you hell, you all right? Why are you doing this? You, know, you need to say no or something. And she looked at me and she said, um, this is what I've chosen. You know, she chose to be in ministry and to be available to people and to be willing to go out with people and spend time and try and change a life or make a difference. And so here I am like, oh, gee, Kim, you know, this really sucks. And, and she looks at me and says, this is what I've chosen. Um, and I need those, those slaps in the face. Um, quit treating everything is throwing you off of your game that you've kind of mapped out in your life the leaves are sometimes put there by God the, the trials are sometimes, sometimes nothing more than an early morning run where God's really trying to open your eyes so that you'll get it and joy is a commitment and we've got to start today and accept the slaps in the face and hit the reset button and say okay uh, let me try this again God with your help let me try this again We've got to make the most out of the life we've been given. Let us not let people that look at us from the outside think, those Christians are so negative. They're so downcast. Their spirits are so kind of gloomy. When when David was downcast, what did he say? Um, God, restore me. Turn me right side up again. And may we be willing enough, may we love life enough, may we look at what God can do and trust him enough to say, God, set me on my feet again. I want to make the most of this life that you've given me. The team's going to come up and they're going to play for just a little bit before they go into our last song uh, songs. And I want you just to think, what is the broken road that God has before you that is put there to prepare his will for you? What is the thing that you need to accept and and kind of respond with the right attitude and choose joy instead of just letting it eat away at you and just goad you and poke you? Whatever it is, just get those things out on the surface, and this is the this is our time to sing them back to God, to exercise our souls. Some.